Up next, we have an interview I conducted a couple of months ago with Juliette Lapidos, who just wrote the novel Talent. Hey, Juliette, how's it going today? It's going well, thank you. Good. Uh, it must be rather exciting to have this debut novel out. How are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. It's um, a little anxiety-producing to be doing something like this, but it's also fun. No, I could see that. And I know your background is mainly in journalism, most recently at The Atlantic. Um, how has that kind of transition to writing fiction been from like the regular journalistic side of things? Right. I'm actually still at The Atlantic. So yes. um, I think that when I started out writing fiction, I thought it, it would be more similar than it actually was. And I had to uh, teach myself how to write fiction, something I thought I knew how to do. <laughs> Uh, but the the biggest difference is that in journalism, I'm an editor, so I'm very much behind the scenes, and that's uh, it's a little different here, having my name on the book. I get that. That's going to be kind of, like you said, very strange, kind of doing the fiction aspect and doing the writing thing. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have more empathy for your uh, people that you're editing at this point now? Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Good. <laughs> No, that's great. Is, is there anything that you are going to be like considering more like in your daily like editing for The Atlantic? Hmm. Well, I mean, I do think it's fairly different, you know, the requirements of nonfiction and fiction. I mean, one, one thing that is extremely important in nonfiction is just clarity. You mm -hmm. need to have an argument that your readers are going to understand and you need to um, unspool it clearly as well and um, try to be as convincing as possible. And the requirements of fiction are different. I think uh, sometimes fiction should be a little muddy, should be a little ambiguous. And I think it's okay to ask readers to um, accept some confusion or to think maybe uh, you, you can think more than one thing about uh, what a scene is supposed to be saying. So that's quite, um, that's quite different. And um, yeah, as an editor, I'm not going to suddenly decide that it's okay for journalists to be ambiguous or muddy in their writing. <laughs> That's for the best, especially in this um, this common era of what we're dealing with as far as... Um, yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh -huh. I, I love that. And that's part of fun for, for fiction readers to kind of delve into that and figure out the ambiguities and wrestle with them. I think so. I feel that way as a reader. No, I get that. Well, I'm, I'm really interested in this novel and kind of how it began. Uh, have you been writing it for a long time? Yes, it. Uh, I, I started in probably the the winter of 2011, uh, late 2011, and then I wrote it slowly, mostly on weekends at at night sometimes. So it took about five or six years to write, and then it took a while longer to uh, you know, find an agent, send it to publishers, and uh, actually get it in bookstores. No, I could see that. And what was kind of the um, initial? kind of inspiration for writing this book? Um, it really started, or the the germ of the idea came to me when I was still in school and I came across the parable of the talents for the first time, mm. um, which I, I think is a uh, not particularly well-known parable, so I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it very quickly. Thank you. <laughs> uh, there, there's, a, um, there's a master um, who, who most interpreters think is um, stands in for God, and um, he's going away on a business trip, so he entrusts his three servants with his money, um, with his talent. So talent is a unit of money. And he gives one servant, I believe, ten talents, the next five, and the third uh, one talent. So he goes away on his trip, and he comes back, and he asks his servants to give him an account of what they did with the money he gave them. 
the first servant uh, doubled his money. The second servant had a uh, similarly good result. But the third servant says he buried the talent in the ground because he was worried about losing it. And he knew that the master was um, was a taskmaster. I think he uses that term that he was um, um, that he could get angry. And indeed, the master does get very angry and reprimands him for not having done anything with the talent he was given. And then he ultimately takes that one talent away and gives it to the first servant who made the most. And I found this um, difficult to uh, parse. It didn't seem very Christian to me, this idea that um, you're required to to uh, make money from money uh, on the most overt level um, and that you'll be punished for it if you don't. And then on another level, just the um, harshness of needing to do something with your abilities. Um, So I sort of, I I thought about this a lot and in one way or another, these thoughts um, made their way into fiction. So talent is the title of the novel and that, that comes from the parable of the talents. Interesting. Okay. I, I love that connection right there and kind of the multiple meanings that you can get out of that. Um, and you know, your, your character is functioning in this book. Inspiration is kind of at the center of it and what that means to have inspiration and seek it and to be kind of befuddled. Um, did you find mm-hmm. yourself in the writing of this book lacking inspiration and how did you get out of that? The, the argument that the main character makes in the book is that, um, there isn't really any such thing <laughs> as inspiration. There is no lightning, lightning bolt moment. You just have to sit down and do work. Yeah. Um, that uh, that discipline is basically what inspiration is. Uh, so I kept that in mind as I was writing. I, I can't say I think that character is entirely correct. I, I think there's still some kind of um, mysterious thing beyond discipline that separates um, good writers from not good writers. And I, I won't put myself in the good writer category. That's for other people to decide. <laughs> but um, I do think... Um, you know, you, you could sit in front of a computer for five hours every day your whole life and never come up with anything as good as, um, I don't know, Ulysses or something. So see, there's something else at work. But I did try to say to myself that discipline is a lot of this and I just have to keep going. Yeah, no, I think that's super important, too. I One of the favorite things I've ever heard interviewing writers was this idea of um, doing the work on a daily basis, going through the grind so that mm-hmm. uh, it's like rolling a boulder up the mountaintop and, you know, keeping on doing it so that eventually you might have this like bout of like um, of an epiphany and like you'll have done the work beforehand and you'll capture that moment and have the tools to do that. Yeah, that that's a good way of describing it. I, I suppose that's the hope, yeah, that you like, have the groundwork. It's true. Um, what was your favorite part of kind of diving into this book? You know, I, I think like a lot of people, I don't find the actual writing that enjoyable. I find being done with writing enjoyable. Um, but uh, within the book, there are the, the notebooks of a, of a famous author uh, called Frederick Langley. Mm-hmm. No, he's not a real author. He's an author I made up. But um, those notebooks were kind of fun to write because I could be looser and they're not supposed to be fully coherent, so that it, it was more fun to do that than uh, to try to do a strict narrative. No, I get that. Um, what's kind of your, your writing setup um, for, for writing this book? Is there anything special you have to do? Uh, sorry, for writing it? Yeah, for writing it. Do you have like um, any kind of um, setup that you need in order to start writing or get into the space where you feel comfortable oh, doing it? Um, not exactly. I mean, I do. Um, I find it hard to write when I'm not sure how long I have to do it. So if I if um, 
if I think, well, maybe my kid's going to wake up from a nap in 45 minutes, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I find it difficult to write in those moments. So I suppose what I require is, um, is a, is a sense of how long I have, <laughs> but if I have that, then, then I can generally get work done. No, I think that's good. So you like, you're setting the constraints for yourself and you need to have that right there, that framework. Yes. Oh, cool. Um, what are your kind of hopes for this book? What do you hope people get out of it? I think that in some ways it's not a very typical contemporary novel. Um, I think a lot of contemporary novels are very concerned with um, character development, which when I say it like that sounds totally obvious. It's like it's no novel. Of course, <laughs> novels are about character development. Uh, but this novel is more about ideas than about um, character. I wasn't trying to do the grand 19th century arc thing. Um, and I hope that uh, readers can tolerate that, that they think, you know, there, there's there's lots of books they can read that are about um showing somebody's life in full, uh, and this isn't really supposed to be that. Yeah, no, I think that's good. I, I, I like that. Um, what was it like working with your editors and kind of like taking their critiques and running with that? I was very fortunate to have really wonderful editors, um, starting with my agent who um, who did a pass or two on the book before we sent it out, uh, mm-hmm. Chris Clemens. And... Um, what was good was that I found people who read the book um, on its own terms. They weren't trying to turn it into something it wasn't. They were just trying to improve what was um, what was there, and I think they understood more or less what my objectives were. So um, that was a fairly straightforward process of them saying, well, you know, we could use a little bit more here, or, uh, you know, this joke maybe falls a little flat, or... Um, you know, this is muddy, or this should be muddier, or something like that. Um, but it was, uh, on the whole, a really good experience. Okay, that, that sounds good. Um, to kind of go back to your, your own editing and kind of this time and place, um, there's a lot of pressure on people to get information correct when they put it to print, I'd say even more so in the past few years, um, looking at what's happening in this coveting case and the amount of stories that are coming out about that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm interested in just kind of your perspective of what you feel um, is necessary on, you know, journalists and editors parts as far as like getting stories right before print and just your kind of thoughts on the whole um, scene at this point for, for people working in, in the media and working at publications. I think it's good that there's pressure on publications to be as accurate as possible. Um, I'd say that I think for news consumers, um, a good way to distinguish a, a reputable news organization from a disreputable news organization is that um, the reputable ones are going to admit it when they make a mistake. They're yeah. going to issue a correction and um, try to broadcast that correction uh, as much as they can. And the disreputable ones don't bother. Um, I don't think I think that mistakes are always going to happen. It's just inevitable, um, especially when you're talking about daily or hourly deadlines. Um, but that. When people act in good faith, then they do their best to to change um, what they reported incorrectly. Um, so, so I would say, you know, <laughs> that I guess I would ask people to give journalists a little bit of a break. Um, and I don't think most journalists are trying to say anything that's wrong. It's just something that happens sometimes. And really, it's the it's what happens after that's important or most important. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good line to have. Um, that, that's good. I, I like that. <laughs> Um, well, Juliet, to kind of, we're running short on time, but to kind of wrap us up, I'm wondering, um, 
what books are you reading right now just for yourself? And also, uh, now that you have this book out, what are kind of your plans after? Do you have anything that you're working on outside of this? Sure. Uh, right now I'm reading The Incendiaries by Reese Kwan or R.O. Kwan. Mm. I'm only a few chapters in, uh, but I'm enjoying it very much so far. It's a debut novel that came out um, last year. It's also set at a college campus like my book, which is part of what drew me to it. And, and I knew Reese um, just a little bit in college. Um, so I was curious to see what she came up with. But um, I can I can recommend the first quarter so far. Um and uh, in terms of my own plans, I do hope to write another book. It's it's going kind of slowly, um, but uh, uh, I don't feel ready to talk about the topic yet. But it's pretty different than uh, than the first one. Okay, that, that, that's great. I love that. Um, just quick follow up. I um, having it based on a college campus. Um, that must have been fun to kind of dive into that. And I'm wondering if what. Other books set on college campuses or campus life really kind of inform this work, if there were any. Well, I, I can say I'm a big fan of the genre. Um, I I don't know that they informed it exactly. I mean, I, I love Lucky Jim, um, the Amos novel. It's mm-hmm. very funny. I think it's one of the funniest books ever written. Um, so I love that. I don't know that it really inspired <laughs> Uh, my book, but I did I do like that and uh, the work of David Lodge, his campus trilogy I think is also very good and um, the Stoner, which is kind of a cult classic by John Williams, but that's uh, in tone very different from what I was doing. Um, so I, w- I would hardly recommend those books to all listeners, but I can't say they will find those books in what I did. Okay, well, cool. I like that then. <laughs> well, well, Juliet, um, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much.